Well, this morning we're in for a treat. Like I mentioned earlier, we have a pastor here from a, a local church um, who has been a lead pastor for several years there, 10 years to be exact. And uh, he moved here from um, Indiana 10 years ago to start a church just down the street here called Our Place Christian Center. Uh, it's a wonderful church in our community, a beacon of light and hope. And uh, through that church, there was other, several other church plants. And my favorite story of Steve is um, a couple years ago, we were part of a a float committee to build a float for one of our 4th of July parades. And churches typically, I mean, half the parade is churches in City of Hillsborough, right? Have you been there? I mean, there's just tons of churches, which is great. Well, we had a float in there and it gets kind of competitive. You know, you put a lot of time and energy in there and, and you want that trophy. I mean, you don't really don't. You're like, oh, yours is greater than ours, but you really want that trophy. Um, and we put a float together and we did a great job. We we're working on it. And we noticed across the parking lot, some guy going through and, and armor rolling and, and shining everyone's tires along the way. We're like, who is this guy trying to one-up us? This is church, you know, and, and it was Steve doing this to all the churches. And he has a, a great servant's heart. Would you welcome Steve with me this morning? Yeah. Thanks, you guys. Man, it really is. It's a, it is an honor to be here with you uh, this weekend. I'm just so uh, glad and honored that, that uh, my good friends, old friends, Jared and Ann Roth, invited me to speak into your lives this weekend. And I've just had a, been having a great time. You are such friendly people. I just have to tell you that. And, uh, and, and when, they, when uh, Jared and Ann first moved into this area, they, they started coming to the church where I was pastoring at because it was just within walking distance uh, from their house and and they were just such encouragers to myself as a young pastor and, and to my staff and, and so many of our church during those years. And I just have to say, you have possibly two of the most wonderful people ever serving your church. And I counted a blessing to call them uh, my friends. So just let's give it up for Jared and Ann. We just love them. Now, preachers in the New Testament, uh, in their letters, they always, uh, they always have greetings. And so I bring my greetings as well. First, I bring greetings from the Brooke family. Uh, yes, the, uh, the handsome-looking crew right up there, and they're right here with me. Uh, and, and now, thank you. Yeah, it's all me. My, my family consists of my lovely wife of 20 plus years, Renee Brooks. She is a wonderful woman, uh, wife, mom, as well as an amazing speech language pathologist, if I can even say it right, in the Vancouver schools. And as I always love to remind her, though she hates it, um, I love to remind her and others that she was the Johnson County Fair Queen of 1980. That's right. <laughs> Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I know that might impress you about her, but, but more about me, that makes me, by marriage, the king of a small county in Indiana. So I just want you to know. Yes, uh, appreciate that. Um, there are also our uh, sons, uh, Zechariah uh, and Noah. Uh, Zech's with us today. He's a sophomore at Sunset, and Noah is a sixth grader at uh, Cedar Park, and he is actually at a basketball game. He's has to play uh, for Sunset against Glencoe this morning, and so he's over there right now. And uh, but they love uh, they love Jesus and their family, and their schools, their friends, and playing football and basketball for their schools. There's also our youngest and only girl, our little daughter, Grace, fourth grade at Bonnie Slope, and she loves Jesus and her family and, and school, plus reading and piano and singing and playing with friends and 
Now, we are not originally from Portland, uh, but we have definitely embraced this place as our home. When I saw the stickers, when I first came here about 10 years ago, I saw the stickers everywhere. Keep Portland what? Weird. That's right. And I thought as if I heard the voice of the Lord say, Portland, I have heard your prayers. <laughs> and I am sending you one of the weirdest I got. <laughs> you know, I mean, we are weird enough in Christ, but Portland has succeeded in making us even weirder yet. We treasure our back, uh, the back of our house, just backing up to wetlands. I mean, anywhere else in the country, it'd be like, yeah, could I please have a house next to a cesspool, please. But no, it's like, no, this is an ecosystem. And I mean, I love our backyard chickens. Uh, give us two dozen organic eggs every week right next to our raised garden and greenhouse recycled from the backyard play structure, producing homegrown vegetables all year round so that we can stay healthy and fit. I mean, I find myself obeying speed limits for the first time in my life. I mean, I'm doing 55 and I'm passing people. You know, I mean, <laughs> if I'm at the, the corner and it says, don't walk, I don't walk. Uh, you know, and it says, why? I go. I mean, I, I, um, we enjoy taking longer trips, you know, and out to explore the great places in the Northwest. We also like staying local too, slipping downtown occasionally to walk the waterfront, enjoy local ethnic foods, listen to some live local music. One time we even mistakenly found ourselves in the middle of a confrontation between police and the Occupy Portland crew. It was like, ma'am, you need to get the children out of here. Yeah, it's like, I'm, I'm telling you, we have embraced this great, albeit weird, city as our home, and we just love it. Now, I also bring greetings uh, from the uh, from a church you may know, uh, right across town, the Our Place Church family. Now, back in 2001, I was called by God and asked by churches to move from our home in Indianapolis to come out to the Northwest to start Our Place. And I'm so proud of everything that God has done in and through this church over these 10 years, hundreds upon hundreds saved, uh, just thousands of people along the way inspired, encouraged, helped, served, and then going out and helping and serving others as well and, 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 uh, and just continuing in the faith. And it's just amazing to be a part of God's work and to be a part of, of, of a church uh, um, that, and churches that are doing God's business. I just am so, I'm just, I can't say enough what a joy it is. But uh, after, now in 2011, so 10 years, I sensed God's timing and calling to kind of transition my associate minister of these 10 years, Ken Bustle, to now take my place as the, uh, the lead minister of this great church. And uh, it helped the church in this economy by getting my income off of the books. It freed me up to pray and seek what is next for my family and I. And it gave Ken the opportunity to step up into a level of ministry that I believe that God had been equipping him for along this journey. And he is doing a great job and he sends his greetings as well. The church even made me the senior minister emeritus, which... I think it's a classy way of saying we don't pay you anymore. It's what's, I think, pretty much what the, But no, I mean, the people that I know who are senior ministry emeritus, they're either retired or dead. So I'm just not sure what that exactly 
means, but it's, 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 it's a great honor to be, uh, um, to be well thought of. And, and now I also send you greetings from a church that you may not know of. And that's a church back in Indianapolis, Indiana, called East 91st Street Christian Church. It's a church where I first met Jesus, um, where I first heard of Jesus, felt the love of Christ and Christians, where I was saved, where I grew in my faith, I volunteered, where I felt called by God uh, into ministry. I I met Renee, I got married, where I interned in youth ministry, became a youth minister, got the push to go to seminary to get more trained. God ordained where I transitioned into being a preaching minister, where we had our first sons, where I learned about church planting, and it's the church who sent me and called me and supported me to start one of their church plants out here in the Northwest, which has become our new and beloved home. In in today's more transient culture, it's pretty rare to find someone like me who's whole 30 years of eternal life and spiritual growth and ministry can be so directly traced to one church family. But I believe that one of the reasons that Jared and Anne wanted me to come and speak to you is to encourage you that Evergreen and, and churches like our place and whatever church that you're at wants to be that kind of church family for you and for your family and for your friends and the many seasons of life and growth that are in Christ. When I asked Jared and Ann what, what they'd like me to speak about, they, they asked me to tell my story. They've heard me tell my story a few times, and, and, uh, and I, I believe that my story is a living illustration of what Jared and Ann have been trying to communicate through this series called The Good Life. In Philemon 7, God's word tells us, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith, sharing your faith stories with others so that you and they may have a fuller understanding of every good thing that we have in Christ. Sharing our faith stories reminds us of the, that, the, that the good life in, in Christ is not just locked up in our Bibles and those people, but it's unleashed into our own lives to live it with him. Now, where does one start with the good life? I think an appropriate place to start is just in the fact that we were born and we are still alive. How many of you, will take a survey, how many of you were born? <laughs> Uh, over 90%. All right, okay. How many of you uh, still living? Still living? All right. Okay, excellent. Good. We're all here. Uh, that in and of itself says a lot about God, a lot about you, and about God's plans and purposes for you. You see, I was born in 1968 to Gerald and Linda Brooke. Yes, 68, so 43 is how old I am. They were having a pool last night, I guess. And so, but I was born in 1968 to uh, Gerald and Linda Brooke. I was diagnosed with a skull condition called chronosynostosis, a big word for a condition where the plates in the skull that are supposed to fuse together for the, in, the, in the life of the child, they don't fuse together. And so the brain actually keeps expanding out past the, uh, the skull. And so historically, this condition had always been met with one of two conclusions. The most common was that the child would die within his first months 
of life. While the few who could survive it would have a brain, though, that swelled beyond the limits of the skull, giving the head a grotesquely abnormal size, probably about this big, and weight that caused the head to always hang down over the neck and also just rendered the person severely mentally disabled for the remainder of his or her life. Right around that time, the doctors uh, were experimenting with a surgery to correct it, and they experimented on me, and the surgery was successful, and I was, and I am healthy and normal by most definitions, I I believe. Uh, Goofy and weird don't count, uh, but healthy and normal, and now it's a common surgery for newborns with that condition. And if I can just stop for a moment and just encourage you that if you have been born, if you are still living, then you have the first essentials for this thing called the good life. My childhood was pretty chaotic, and yet the story of my birth always made me think that there must have been a greater purpose for my life. I didn't know what that purpose was. We never went to church. My parents weren't Christians. We didn't talk about those kind of things. But the fact that I was still alive had always made me feel deep inside that I was special and that there was some kind of special purpose for my life. And as a dad myself, who almost lost two of my three kids at birth, I now believe that the fact that you were born and that you are still alive means that God sees your life as special and has purposes and plans for your life. Psalm 139 reminds us that God, in a sense of wonder and awe at what he was creating, God, you created my inmost being. You knit me there, right there in my mother's womb. And every day of my life was ordained by you and was written by you before any of them came to be. Now, now, like me in my life, you, you know, we a lot of times can't see the greater purposes and plans like God sees them. And his plans don't always work out like you would have planned if you were God. But you know this, that God made you. God loves you and has special plans and purposes for your life, for your good life. And like I said, my childhood was a bit chaotic. It was the early 70s. During the hippie revolution, my parents were experimenting with free love, open relationships, and swapping with other couples. By the time I was four, my newly hippie mom parted ways with my scientist dad, packed a U-Haul with her stuff and with our dog and my three-year-old brother and I, plus mom and a guy named Guy. I don't ever remember his last name. It was just a guy named Guy. And we were setting out on a new adventure. I wasn't old enough to know what the word divorce meant. I just remember crying when I had to say goodbye to my dad because it felt like I wasn't going to see him for a long time. We set out on the road from Indiana, headed, headed on mom's adventure of finding herself, which meant we were headed to the place where most people at that time who were on the journey of finding themselves were headed, and that was Northern California. Now, it was, it was cool there. We lived on top of a mountain. 
in a shack with no electricity, no plumbing, outhouse out back. We slept on the roof. We sat in the saunas. We probably partook of things not always legal. And it's, I don't know, I was four, okay? And, and we attended the nude beach at the base of the mountain quite often, though I discovered later that it wasn't a nude beach per se. My mom just thought it should be, so... <laughs> Within a, a year of this adventure, my, my dad, through the courts, claimed my mom was a prostitute. And in the hippie lifestyle, she had no funds. And with no funds to fight it, my brother and I were whisked away back to Indiana. I was six years old by this time, probably five and a half. I didn't know what the word custody battle meant. I just remember the pain of watching my mom on her knees in the airport, crying, sobbing as we were loaded on the plane. I didn't know what the word blended family meant. All I remember was the plane landing, meeting my dad and this other woman who you boys, you need to call her mom from now on, and spending a lot of time behind closed doors in the bathroom with the water on so that no one could hear me cry. During the next few years, when my mom would come into town, it always turned into screaming matches between all the adults. One time I was all alone with my stepmom in the house and she kind of came to me and kind of pressured me and said, wouldn't you like to write your mom and tell her you'd like to be adopted? And uh, so as, as a kid, I said, okay. And soon afterwards, I stopped receiving phone calls and letters or visits by my mom at all. So deep down inside, I, I feared that my letter to her written out of pressure, had turned her heart against me. And I always wondered if and at what point I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd be adopted or ever see my mom again. By the time I was in middle school, my, my dad had divorced again and turned to the New Age movement and married his third wife. I heard news that my mom had married a local fisherman in Northern California whose biker gang gave him the name Crazy Wayne. Yeah, you're right. It didn't work out. <laughs> uh, go figure. My heart was growing cold and hard to life with all of these changes. And, and who can I trust and who's really there? And it's amazing how many people relate with, uh, with uh, some of my situations growing up. And I, I had started skipping lots of school with my neighborhood friends. And one day I was playing hooky and I discovered a shoebox in the basement. When I looked inside, I, I found years and years worth of letters from my mom to my brother and I. My dad had hid her monthly letters from, uh, uh, from us seeing it. I began to, to read these letters when I came across one letter that my mom had written in response to my pressured request to be adopted. And it read, I'm so sorry that I'm not the mom that you deserve, but I can't give you up. You're my son. I just can't. 
I wept. I didn't know what was true, what was false, right or wrong. My already chaotic life was spiraling even more out of control. I had started to drink and smoke and do drugs with my neighborhood friends, watch perverted films that they stole from their parents, obsessed about sexual things. Though by the grace of God, I was so terrified of girls and rejection at that point in my life. I was never able to fully play out in my life what my sinful desires craved. Thank God. And all this was happening while I was only in middle school. Can I pause again for, for just a moment and just encourage you? Our, our parents, our family, our childhood shapes us. Jared spoke on good family. And here's the deal. For some of us, our parents, our family, our childhood helped set our feet upon good foundation, solid foundation, up to a higher place. And that's a, and so I want you to, if you have that, please be grateful for that. Be grateful for those parents and for that childhood. It is a blessing from God. And he planned that and he's going to use that to help guide you forward in life. For some of us, Understand that our parents and our family were, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the ones who hurt us and messed us up the most. Many adults like me are still working out the baggage left on them from the chaos of their childhood. But while, while people like myself may not have good family in our past, it can still be exactly what God can use and will use to stir in you, to pioneer good family of your own, in your own life and in your own future. Romans 8.28 says that in all things, good things and bad things alike, God can work and does work for the good of any person who loves him and is called according to his purpose. Even at that age, in all of that confusion, not knowing Christ, one thing I was convinced of, that when I grew up, I would try my hardest to choose one woman, get married, and we would try to bring up kids together, mom and dad together, if for nothing else, just so, because I knew that I didn't want to do to my kids what had been done in my life. How to do that, I had no idea. I had no know-how, I had no modeling. But one thing I had was this, there's got to be something better for life and I was gonna find it. And wouldn't you know it, my family, the very family that had forever messed me up, God was going to use them even unknowingly to radically change my life forever. Sometimes God will use the most difficult chapters and disappointing characters of your life to work out his plans for the good life that he wants for you. You see, during the summer before high school, my newest stepmom, uh, I always had to categorize my moms, but um, my newest third step mom, but actually second step mom of the, the third mom, and God, God bless her. She encouraged my dad, and they're still together, by the way, so praise the Lord on that. Encouraged my dad to let my brother and I see our mom, who we hadn't hardly ever seen or heard from in over seven years. 
And that relationship in my life was rekindled. And, uh, but, but while we were gone, I think my dad and stepmom were trying to figure out how to clean this kid up, you know? And, and so likely they had heard enough lies from my mouth, smelled enough pot on my clothes, received enough absence notices from my school, seen enough perverted materials in hidden places in my room to know that they had to intervene. They had to do something. And my stepmom, again, God bless her, said, I remember when I was their age, I went to church and that helped me. I mean, they who themselves had not been in a church in forever started going to a church up on the outskirts of Indy, a church called East 91st Street Christian Church. And by the time my brother and I returned from seeing our mom, my dad and stepmom dragged us along with them to this church. And I, I sat in the services and the youth group, listened to lots of stuff about God, not understanding most of it. I was resistant. None of the kids went to my school. None of the kids were my friends. None of the people were our neighbors. I had never gone to church before. And now I sure didn't want to go now. I mean, this was cramping my style. Uh, and, and so one day I just told my dad, look, all the kids in the youth group, all the people in the church, they're just hypocrites. I had learned one religious word in my time at, at church. They're just hypocrites, and I don't want to go there anymore. And my dad, despite so many poor choices and lack of wisdom throughout his own life, spoke words of wisdom that I'm still grateful for to this day. He said, son, you don't know those people well enough to say that they're hypocrites. Listen, you are going to go with us to every church service and every youth group thing they have. And after six months, if you still think they're hypocrites, then I'll listen to you. Those were wise words. But at the same time, those words were a dare to me. I was on a mission to prove that these Christian people were hypocrites. I wore my Ozzy Osbourne t-shirts. <laughs> I'd wear my sexual innuendo shirts. Oh, I would wear even this uh, shirt that I had with a guy giving you the middle finger. That's what I wanted to say I think of you, church. I wanted them to hate me. I wanted them to dismiss me. I wanted them to reject me when they shared in their sweet little share groups uh, about their days and their schools and how you doing. I shared about the knivings and the beatings at my school. Oh, I so wanted them to fear me, avoid me, be disgusted by me, be afraid to reach out to me. I sat there in the corner with my arms crossed and a scowl on my face as if to scream out, please judge me, want me gone, hate me, please. But that youth group and those people in that church genuinely loved me. They cared about my life. They reached out to me. And at a season in my life when I was trying to fit into every social group out there, jocks, hoods, preps, whatever, I, but I just couldn't fit into them. Here was this church I didn't want to fit into, and yet I fit. 
by the end of those six months, those Christian people, young and old, had proven my words so wrong and themselves so loving that I walked down the aisle of that church one Sunday morning uh, during my freshman year. I trusted Christ, was baptized, began a relationship with God that I still have to this day and I'm so eternally grateful for. And I will... And I will forever be grateful to those youth and those people who reached out to me to be my friends even when I didn't want their friendship. If I can just pause for another moment, just say how important Christian friends and friendship is. I was not brought to Christ because of the scriptures or some great act of the Holy Spirit or, or theologies or sermons or messages or songs. I was brought to Christ by the love and the friendship of Christian people, young and old, in the context of a church. Jesus told his friends in John 13, to love one another in the same kind of ways that I've loved you, I want you to love each other. And people, even hurt, angry, lost kids out there like Steve, will know that you are mine and will know that I am real if you love one another. You see, your life, your presence, your love, your hands held out in friendship, church, can make an eternal difference in the life of someone like me. Correct theology and right doctrine have their place and they are good. But they have a way of working themselves out just fine if love is there. But usually we can't even get to theology and correct doctrine if we don't have love there in the first place. You see, though we went to church now, my, my dad and my stepmom's true belief system had always been the New Age teachings of Edgar Cayce. We believed in reincarnation, self-deity, astrology, and more. And so we believed that we were gods, you know. I'm a god, you are a god, and we would you like to be a god. And so, I mean, we just, it was, I mean, now, now immediately following my senior year, at the same time, uh, a new youth minister had arrived at our church and he was a real godsend into my life because he noticed my rapport with the high school students. After all, they were the, a lot of the kids who actually reached out to me and so they were now some of my favorite friends. And I would come back from, you know, uh, college and I would say, hey, and, and he noticed my rapport and he, and he asked me to be a youth worker. And I... Uh, I, I agreed, and I, through that service and those studies that they did in that, that group, I, was, I think I was secretly being discipled into who, in who Christ was and what it meant to follow him. But to that point in my life, I had never really read the Bible myself. I kind of had the new age mindset that our family had of like, I don't really need the Bible, man. I'll just let God's love flow through me, dude. Like holy osmosis, man. From me, a God, to you. All right, yeah. Whoa, like, I mean, but this group and this church was making me more excited and vocal about Jesus in my life. And so my biological mom, who was still living as a hippie in Northern California, she sent me a New Age account 
of, of Jesus called the Aquarian Gospel of Jesus the Christ. This is the age of Aquarius. Yeah, right? You know, I mean, I mean it just sounds weird, doesn't it? And then, and uh, now it, it was, this was a gospel of, of Jesus' life that it claimed to be newer and, and, and just better and different and more complete gospel of Jesus' life. And it was revealed to a man named Levi in the 1800s by an angel from the heavens. And it contained both stories and wording like I had heard about Jesus' life from my church. Uh, and, uh, but also it, it had contained a Jesus who believed and taught many of the new age beliefs that I had grown up with and held dear. And so it was a perfect mesh of my two confused lives. And I got so excited about it as I read it and I began to tell other people about it, even kids in the youth group. Yikes, he wouldn't want me as a youth worker at that time. But instead of reprimanding me or kicking me out, the youth minister simply gave me a book about the differences between New Age and Christianity. And I, I read one paragraph about how reincarnation and resurrection cannot coexist. And I got scared. I put it down. I didn't like thinking that there was a conflict between the New Age Jesus that I was kind of liking and kind of creating in my own image and, and the Jesus of the Bible that my church family believed in. And I, I remember praying that one day in a, in a youth group prayer session, I said, God, if this New Age stuff that I believe in is of you, then make that clear so I can communicate it and all that kind of good stuff. If it's not of you, make that clear too. I just want to follow you. And I went about my life. And one day as I was listening, we had lots of interesting materials in our house. I was listening to a guru on a tape from an Eastern religious philosophy. He was quoting the Bible in a couple weird places to support one of his new age beliefs. And it dawned on me that I should also read the Bible because I'm a researcher of all religions, and so I should probably do that. And I could find all the mysterious passages that are deep within that theologians have not been able to find over these thousands of years, and they'll support my New Age beliefs. I know they're there. You know, I mean, I, I, I was that arrogant. So on October 30th of 1986, I sat down in lotus position, mind you, and uh, with a Bible right there on my campus, just opened up. I prayed to whatever God or gods or spirit or spirits that I was open to, and I asked the great ins to have great insights into the mysteries of all that is. And, and so I opened it up to what I was, that, that Bible was a one-year Bible. And so I, I opened it up to what I was supposed to read for that particular day, and it was Galatians chapter 1. The first thing I ever really read in the Bible was the Apostle Paul saying, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. <laughs> Which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be eternally condemned. <laughs> I mean, it was like God was talking straight at me. I think I remember that my immediate words were, oh, 
expletive. I mean, it was, I, I suddenly remembered the prayer that I had prayed and I knew God was speaking directly to me about my allegiance to this strange Aquarian gospel and telling me, leave your new age beliefs behind. From that moment on, I couldn't put my Bible down. I read it from cover to cover, marking and highlighting everything everywhere, feeling like I was discovering a whole new Jesus. My grades even suffered a bit because I was choosing God's word over school work. I recommitted my life to Christ and even got baptized again. It was as if the love of Christians saved me the first time and then God's spirit through his word saved me from a whole other world of hurt a second time. If I could just pause for another moment, just encourage you that the Bible is God's word to you. 2 Timothy 3.16 reminds you that the scriptures are God's words. God breathed by God, useful for your life. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light for my path. Renew my life according to your word. As Anne reminded us in her message about a good God, the Bible is God's letter to you, filled with histories and events and heroes that have shaped your past and our past. And it's it's his letter filled with his love and his feelings for you and filled with his ways to receive and truly live the, the good life with him. I remember those years when I was reading the Bible for the first time. It was like the word of God just lit up my life and lit up life in general. And God's spirit leapt off every page and consumed my every thought. I remember one day during the spring of my freshman year at college, I was sitting outside on campus, not in the lotus position this time, reading the Bible And I'd already determined and declared that my college major was going to be in education and I was going to be a teacher. But as I consumed the scriptures that year and rediscovered Jesus in my life, I felt God strongly call to my heart that day, you will teach, but you will teach what and who has changed your life. Your words, your actions, your life, your gifts, my gifts will teach you people, will teach people of my presence, of my love, my words, my ways, my church, who is my family in this world, and who now, Steve, is your family. And from that time on, I devoted myself head over heels to that path. And I kept on volunteering in my church's youth group and sharing my faith story with anyone I could. And after college and the, and the, uh, um, the church asked me to intern and they made me junior high youth minister and I gave myself fully to serving the students and their families. And through those years, the church helped me to grow up in life and, and in the ministry. And they helped send me to seminary for more training, ordained me as a, a minister and helped me to become a preacher in the church. And they gave me a love for planting churches to reach the lost. And they sent and supported me to come out here. And, and, and even now at times like, like this transition in my life, when, when I've been exploring other paths and other interests, God has used this season to simply graciously renew, refresh, and recall me right back into my calling and my commitment to the ministry, to his church, to, to his son, Jesus Christ. 
like I can do nothing else. I can't go to the right. I can't go to the left. It's like he's got me hemmed in. He has a purpose for my life. Remember long before I ever went to church, where ever met a Christian or knew Christ, something inside of me made me know that my life must be special. It was meant for something better, something greater, something truly good. I just didn't know what that was. And as I look back on a life unfolding, it becomes more clear in the glimpses of God's grace and providence that I've actually been living the good life and living according to his purposes and his plans all along the way as I've lived with my Savior, Jesus Christ. I am special. God gave me life. He gave me eternal life too. I have been forgiven. God gave me the family of his church when my family had hurt me too deeply. God's allowed me to help others find a family in the church too. God gave me the grace and stubbornness to to build a great family of my own who I love with all my heart. Through the years of his grace and his forgiveness have given me the ability to forgive my mom and my dad and we love each other. God gave me the grace to forgive the friends and influences who led me astray and in him he keeps giving me some of the best friends ever along this journey of life with him. By his transforming power, I believe that I too am becoming a better friend to him and a better friend to others with every day that he gives me. The good life, good God, good family, good friends. Next week, good church, good faith community. God has been so good to me, and he's been so good to you. Your life was given to you by God. You were saved by God, given eternal life. He has purpose and meaning for your life. You were meant for something better, something greater, something good, this good life. If you don't know Christ You can find the good life in him today. You can pray to him. He will hear. You can reach out to him in prayer. You can also reach out to the friend who brought you. You can reach out to any of the staff here and say, I want to trust Christ in my life. Christ lived and he gave his life so that you could have eternal life, have the truly good life. And let me tell you, if you do know Christ, then understand afresh today that you have been given the good life. Try it on, live it, use it, grow in it, serve with it, share it. Jared and Anne, they've been using a lot of the book of Ephesians in these messages on the good life. Some of my favorite advice from Paul is in Ephesians 5. He says, be very, very careful, watchful and wise about your life. Make the most of every opportunity in your life because the days are evil and the days are short. Don't be an absent-minded fool when it comes to your life, but you try to see and you try to understand and you try to perceive what the Lord's will is for your life. His plans and his purposes are for your life because he has them. The good life is good. It's real and it's of God, but it can be missed. So don't miss it. 
See it, ask for it, receive it, want it, live it, try it, be challenged by it, use it, don't let go of it, share it. May the good life that is in Christ be our life and be your life.